a Sunday morning, and all of you that watch online, if you are watching online, I would encourage you to visit the website and learn more about Harvest Weekend. Our church now for many years has had a very precious tradition of taking one weekend a year to especially be generous toward mission works around the world. Our goal this year is $1.7 million, and we'd love for you to be a part of that. And I really want to especially challenge parents and grandparents, get your kids involved, get one of those little red houses. I promise you, decades from now, your kids will remember doing that. You're planting seeds now that will last a lifetime and build a heart for God's mission around the world. So be sure to engage your children. Now, ladies, I heard you had an amazing weekend. I know that my wife got her cup filled, and I just want to celebrate with you. I am trusting that our men's conference in January is going to be just as powerful. We won't need all the decorations you need. We just need a smoker, but we're going to have a great conference too. So a cowboy goes to see his doctor and says, man, I just heard all over. And the doctor says, so have you had any accidents lately? He said, no. Now I was bucked by a bronc. I was kicked by a mule and got bit by a snake. And the doctor said, you wouldn't call those accidents? He said, no, every one of those varmints did it on purpose. (laughs) Well, The point is, when you hear somebody say, you did that on purpose, isn't it true that we almost always assume an evil intent? If someone says, you did that on purpose, they're almost always implying that you had a bad motive for whatever it is that you did. So what does it mean then when we say that about God? Because in Romans 8, we know we have no condemnation status in Christ. We know that we have a no separation status from the love of God. But in between, Paul says, we live in a world in bondage to decay, and there's a lot of frustration. There's a whole lot of aching going on, and we groan. And so how do we reconcile the groaning of the world with a God who is sovereign and in control? And so well-meaning people like you and me often step in to defend God, when bad things happen, with some terrible theology. And so a couple loses their baby, and somebody says, well, God just wanted one more little angel in heaven. Really? God's so lonely that he took your baby on purpose? Or a drunk driver hits a van and kills a mom and someone says, well, we'll just have to trust that God has a better plan. Really? This is how God runs the universe? By taking mothers away from their families? The way we sometimes defend God makes it sound like he is the author of evil. And I don't believe that. I don't believe God sins evil on purpose. I do believe God can bend evil to fit his purpose. And that's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. Got a lot of feedback from the message last week. Apparently it resonated with a lot of people to know that you're not alone when you don't know how to pray. That sometimes life puts us in situations and we don't even know what would be best. And it helps to know that the Holy Spirit there is 
interceding and helping us take our groans to God. Because sometimes when it comes to prayer, we just don't know. But there's something we do know. He says, verse 28, here's what we know. That in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Now, I think that's one of the most encouraging passages in Scripture. It's used, but it's often misused. That little phrase, in all things, God works for the good, has to be handled carefully. Because Paul does not say that all things are good. And he does not say that in the moment we can see how God is working and making something good out of this. What he does say and what he does promise is that nothing can prevent God from accomplishing his good purpose for your life. And here's the problem. God's good and our good are often not the same thing. Because our focus is on the immediate more than the ultimate, isn't it? And so when I'm in a bad place and I want God to do something good, by good, I mean I want instant relief. And I want better circumstances. But God thinks of good more in terms of character than comfort. Because he's predestined that I should be conformed to the image of his son. So anything that is helping me look more like Jesus is good. And anything that's taking me away from Jesus is bad. So sometimes the things that I want and think are good are bad. Because they're taking me away from Jesus. Those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. This is God's purpose. And God reigns on purpose. And he always has. Paul said in Ephesians 1.11, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And so it's God's will that you and I grow in Christ's likeness, that we reflect the majesty of Christ who is the firstborn among the brothers and sisters, because the more we reflect Jesus, the more we magnify Jesus, and the more glory and honor and praise go to Jesus. So God's collecting a group of people, he's called it his church, in whom he's doing this work of conforming, and this is his eternal purpose. Two chapters later, Paul says... God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom and his rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out 
through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so, God is focusing on the ultimate good. Not so much your immediate perception of good. And so, continuing in my growing is more important to God than discontinuing my groaning. He doesn't make us groan on purpose. But He can use our groanings for His purpose. So our choice is whether or not we are going to learn to groan purposefully. In North Korea, high-achieving civil servants are given a status symbol by the government, a Chinese-made refrigerator. Now, we take refrigerators for granted, but in that country, it's a status symbol to have one. The problem is the electrical grid in that nation is so unsure, people don't put food in the refrigerator. It might spoil. And so they use them to keep their books. Now, what Paul is saying, is that God has the power to work in all things so that you can be used for that for which you were created. You don't have to get off purpose in your life. He's sure about this. He doesn't say we guess, we surmise, we conject, we hope, we wish, we wonder. We know that in all things, God is working for the good of those who love Him. Those He called to be conformed to the image of His Son. So we can live on purpose. What does that mean? Three things quickly. First, you need to know we were called on purpose. That God's call on your life is no accident. Listen to these verbs. Called, foreknew, predestined. The emphasis in this text is entirely on the initiative and the work of God. Your salvation did not start with God answering your call. It began with you answering God's call. In fact, that was preached the very first gospel sermon. Peter's with this crowd. He's preached Jesus. He's lifted him up. He's told men that you are sinners and he was crucified because of your evil. What do we do, they said? He said, you need to repent and you need to get baptized right now. And by the way, if you're listening, wherever you're listening, if you have decided Jesus is the son of God and you know you're a sinner, you need to repent. Which means you need to turn your life in his direction and you need immediately to get baptized if you haven't done that. And he says, now here's the promise. If you do that, you're going to receive forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 39 of that sermon, he says, this promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. We didn't purpose to call God. God purposed to call us. And this plan was conceived in his mind before you were even conceived in a womb. 
Again, Paul says in 2 Timothy, he saved us and he called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Now, a little side note, I don't think here Paul is personally dealing with what we sometimes call the doctrine of election. Some will teach, well, God just chose some, they're going to go to heaven. He chose some, they're going to go to hell, and there's really nothing they can do about it. One of the things that Scripture makes us wrestle with is a tension between God's sovereignty and personal responsibility. The Calvinist position is God is totally sovereign, everything's all planned out, and you have no choice. The position that the Arminians hold is, no, there's a lot of human responsibility and a lot of choice. So which one does the Bible teach? Yes. It teaches both. Without apology, the New Testament authors were Calvinians. I believe that with all my heart. We live in absolute confidence that God's on the throne and he's sovereign. And when we cross the street, we look both ways. That's how you live. So we're Calvinians. And so was Paul. See, Paul here, what he's really dealing with is the confidence that we can have, even when we're groaning, that our salvation from start to finish is a work of God. We've been predestinated. Now, to predestinate is to decide ahead of time where you're going to wind up. And God's done that for you. He has predetermined where he is going to take Everyone who loves him and who have answered the call. He has predecided that one day we're going to look like Jesus. And he foreknew this end. See, God's foreknowledge and ours is different. Our foreknowledge is built on studying what's already happened. I've watched the sun go down and come up and go down and come up and go down and come up. I have a prediction. Tonight it's going to go down. Tomorrow it's going to come up. But God does not. For no, based on studying what's happened, God foreknows because he can make it happen. And he knows what he's going to make happen. Here's the stunning thing. I'm not surprised that God foreknew me. I'm not surprised that he chose me. I'm surprised that he foreknew me and still chose me. (laughs) And you ought to be surprised too. Because you were called by God's choice... For God's purpose to God's glory. Not only that, but we are changed on purpose. And here's where the pain comes to play. Because nowhere does the Bible say you're supposed to fake the ache and pretend that life isn't hard. Nobody comes through life unscarred. In fact, Paul validated his ministry not by talking about his blessings, but by talking about his bruises. By talking about how much he had been wounded because he followed Christ. But by every single wound, Paul put up a God at work sign. Because God doesn't plan pain. But God can use pain in his eternal plan. To reproduce the character of Christ in us. Look again at verse 29. This time from the message. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. And he decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life 
of his son. So I heard this story about this lady. She's like in her mid-40s, and she has a heart attack. And she goes to the hospital, and there she talks to the Lord and says, Lord, is my time up? And the Lord tells her, no, I'm going to give you 40 more years. And she's thinking, 40 more years? I need to take better care of myself. So while she's in the hospital, she gets a tummy tuck. She gets a liposuction. She has a facelift. She gets her hair colored. Three weeks later, she's released. She's walking across the street, gets hit by a bus and killed. She says, Lord, I thought I had 40 more years. Lord says, I'm sorry, didn't recognize you. Here's what Paul is saying. God is going to use the circumstances of your life, all of them, to give you an extreme makeover. So that people don't recognize you, but they recognize Jesus in you. Because you know from reading Genesis chapter 1, God is an expert at taking chaos and turning it into something beautiful. And so over a hundred years ago at a Scottish seaside village, some fishermen were in a little restaurant talking about their catch of the day. And when one fisherman did his arms like this, he unintentionally knocked over a teapot that a waitress walking by was carrying. The brown tea stained the wall to the side and the Owner came out and said, I'm going to have to repaint that whole wall. And a stranger in the corner said, maybe not. Carried a little box over there and opened it up, pulled out some brushes, some linseed oil, some pigment. He dabbed here and he swashed there. And pretty soon a brilliant stag appeared with a magnificent set of antlers. And he signed at the bottom, E.H. Landseer. Sir Edwin Landseer. Britain's greatest painter. God knows how to take stains and mistakes and heartaches. And he goes to work. And God creates beauty that we didn't even see and expect could ever come. I'll never forget reading years ago a study. I think it was a Christian publishing company. And I think they surveyed over 8,000 Christians. And the question was... What was the single most important factor in your spiritual growth? You know, was it Bible study? Was it quiet time? Was it worship? Was it being in a small group? The number one overwhelming answer, the single most important factor in my spiritual growth, pain. And you already know that's true. You can look back in your life and you can remember a time where life just knocked the props out. It just took all the crutches away. And to survive, you had to go deeper with God than you've ever had to go. Because your purpose is not to see how you can make the good life. But your purpose is to see how you can make Jesus look good. And I think it's comforting to know that the Holy Spirit is at work full time. Leveraging even my pain into something good. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, The Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him. 
as we're changed into his glorious image. Do we have wounds? Absolutely. But scars are proof that the enemy took a shot and he could not take me out. Because God has the last word. And it's good. And you see, we will be completed on purpose. And we can know this because it doesn't depend on us. It depends on God. Even our difficult experiences cannot stop God from finishing what he started In Philippians 1, 6, Paul says, I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finished finally on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And so in your story, there are chapters full of sin and hurt and sorrow and death. But they're not in the last chapter. Those he predestined. He also called, and those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also, watch this, past tense, glorified. Paul's talking about you in the past tense. He's talking about your future glorification as if it's a done deal. Because it is in God's mind. Because it's God's purpose for you to be glorified. And God foreknows it. And God's predestined it. And it's going to happen. Because God is God. And he reigns on purpose. This is the day the whole creation is excited about and is looking forward to. Now right now I got to admit I look pretty unglorified. And you do too. Just for what it's worth. But if we could see the finished project of what God's going to work out in us, we would be so encouraged right now. So don't let your groaning keep you from gaining a perspective on God's ultimate purpose. And don't despair as if anything could frustrate his plan for you. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians, Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen. For he who calls you is faithful. And so we can live on purpose. We don't have to be refrigerators full of books. But we can, in the power of God and the Holy Spirit, live the lives for which we were called. It's going to take intention. Because life is hard. Let me give you a couple of quick thoughts that just ground me and kind of give me a direction and compass. Here's number one. And you taught this to your little kids. God is great. And God is good. And I am sure of that. Even when I am not sure of what's going on around me. Because I've been to the cross. 
That's why that little moment every week when we take some bread and we take a cup is never a trivial moment to me. It is my grounding moment. It is that moment when I remember who God is. Because the cross was the worst thing that ever happened. There has never in human history been a moment of purer, undiluted evil than the cross. And yet, the cross was the best thing that ever happened. When a gracious God gave a sinless son for you and me. God is doing a work. Some of you have actually been there and seen the roof of the Sistine Chapel. It took Michelangelo four years to paint it. Finished it in 1512 and almost immediately was used daily. Now for 400 years, the only way to light the chapel was candles. And so art critics of the last century would sometimes say of Michelangelo, boy, his composition was genius. How did he think of things like the, the finger of God reaching down to the hand of man? But, but the coloration is kind of mediocre. Well, then the last part of the last century, restorationists began to remove the, the smoke and the grime that had accumulated over four centuries. And they began to realize when you could get past all that dirt, the colors were brilliant. The genius was revealed. And I believe someday we're going to get past all the muck and the sin and the grime. And we're going to see the genius and the beauty of the work of the creator. But right now I've got a cross. And that cross tells me that even when I don't know what he's doing. I will not forget who he is. Paul's in prison in 2 Timothy. He knows he is about to die. But he says, this is no cause for shame. Because I know whom I've believed. And I'm convinced he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Please note, he didn't say, I know what I believe. Because when you are in that darkest place, having a solid theology isn't going to take you very far. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Amen. He says, I know him. And even if I can't understand what's going on, I know who's in charge. I know who has a purpose for my life. And listen, when the cross shapes your view of God, you can know. Even when you can't understand. And so, because my God is great and my God is good, I will love God on purpose. That's a decision I have to make every day, just like you. It's the great commandment. And I can obey it no matter what life throws at me. Because I know God's purpose for me. And so I'm going to love God. 
And the chief way Jesus said we're going to love God is we're going to love each other. And I can follow Jesus in a life of risky love, no matter what it costs. Because I know no matter what it costs, it will be good. And so Paul, he just can't take it anymore. He just bursts out in one of the longest praise songs in the Bible. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, will he not also along with him, watch this, graciously give us all things? He's working in all things. And you know he gave his own son for you. So will he not give you all things you need to survive all things? I want you to stand up right now. If you're on our prayer team, I want you to come to the front. Because some are going to come today and ask for their lives to get back on purpose. Some are going to repent. And some are going to come today and get baptized and obey Jesus. Because folks, this is good news. So I'm going to read this over you and I want you to be excited. No, in all these things. Did you hear that? He's working in all things. He's given you all things. So what does this mean? It means in all things. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Church, live on purpose.